0: this morning. Apparently you guys ate a lot of cookies and are a little sleepy. How are we doing today? Good. Good. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. You know, I hope that uh, no matter what season you find yourself in right now, that you have been able to take some time and celebrate The coming of Jesus—that you've been able to celebrate, uh, God leaving His throne and entering human history. Right? It's a big deal. That's why we celebrate Christmas. Right? It's not just a U.S. holiday, but it's something that we get to take time to sit and to think about and to uh, reflect upon year after year after year. That God loved us enough that He got off of His throne and He entered human history. Merry Christmas to you. Now, uh, I'm going to be completely honest. Uh, today's talk came from a tattoo that I saw on Instagram, all right? So um, if you're expecting something great, <laughs> here we go, all right? I saw this tattoo, and uh, just the phrase on it just kind of caught my eye, and it said, Jesus knew in Judas 8.2. Jesus knew in Judas 8. And as I started Googling what this kind of was in reference to, I found a blog post by a pastor in Texas named Nick Burleson. In his post, it reads this. It says, think about this for a second. Jesus knew. He goes into that room with His disciples and He knows that He's going to be betrayed. He knows it's Judas who will turn against Him. He knows that He's been sold out for a handful of silver, stabbed in the back by one that He's poured His life into. Yet in that room, hours before the death of Jesus, Judas ate two. Jesus fed Judas too. Jesus prayed for Judas too. Jesus washed Judas' feet too, and I struggle to fathom that kind of love, a love that would feed the mouth that deceived you, a love that would wash the treasonous feet of a traitor, a love that could forgive even the vilest of betrayals. I honestly struggle to comprehend it, and then suddenly I realize that I am Judas. And in that moment, I am so thankful and altogether overwhelmed that Judas ate too. Let's pray. Jesus, thank You for leaving Your throne, leaving where You were seated in coming to this world that You created. Jesus, thank You that You entered into our history, that You entered into our story, and that because of You, we have a very different ending available to us. So I pray that as we unpack the Scripture this morning that You would speak loudly, that we would get a very clear picture of who You are and the things that You have called us to be. I ask this in the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen. You know, for the last month or so, we've been looking at this 2,700-year-old prophecy out of the book of Isaiah. And it talks about the coming of Christ and who He is to be called, right? He is to be the Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And He is these things. This is found in Isaiah 9, but when you make your way to Isaiah 53, He is called the Suffering Servant. So we've looked at Jesus as Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. And today we're going to look at Him as suffering servant. So we're going to be in the book of John chapter 13. John 13. We're going to start in verse 1. Now to set up kind of what is taking place, right? This is towards the very end of Jesus' life. This is happening on a Thursday, what a lot of folks in the church call Monday Thursday. You have Monday Thursday, you have Good Friday, you have Saturday, and then you have Sunday, the day of the resurrection. So when we celebrate Easter, there tends to be a week of things, week of events that we look towards. And what we're going to walk through today happens to take place on Thursday. It's at the Last Supper. This is literally hours before Jesus is going to be uh, betrayed, arrested, tried, and crucified. So keep in mind that that's what's taking place here. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that His hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved His own who were in the world He loved them to the end. How beautiful is that, right? He knew that his hour had come. We see this multiple times in Scripture, right? Uh, The wedding at Cana, where he performs his first miracle, he's telling his mom, no, 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 my time has not come. The hour has not come for this to take place. Then there's several other times where there are groups of people, gangs of people that are trying to get Jesus so that they can kill him, and it says, but the hour had not come. Well, the hour has come. The end of Jesus' life is near, and he knows it. It says he's about to depart the world and go back to his Father, and having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He loved his disciples well. John 13 marks the beginning of Jesus' private ministry to His disciples. Up until this point, we see Jesus performing miracles. We see Jesus healing people. We see Jesus teaching to crowds, and all of a sudden things shift to where He is no longer doing this public ministry, but He is instead focusing intently on His disciples. And this particular portion of Scripture is the beginning of the farewell discourse, kind of an academic way of looking at it. This is Jesus' final teaching, and this is Him actually describing how things are going to play out over the next couple of days and what is to come. And so Jesus begins this by having a meal with His disciples. And at this meal, Jesus is going to give us an acted-out lesson, an example of the kind of person that we should be if we are going to be His representatives to the world. So it's the Passover. This is a huge Jewish celebration. Jesus has uh, put together a meal for His disciples. He is getting them all together, and at this meal He is going to call them to the way He is asking them to represent Him or live after He is gone. Verse 2 says, During supper, when the devil had already proclaimed already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. I love this. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God, was going back to God. Rose from supper, he laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then He poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around Him. This tells us where Jesus stands in relation to His disciples. Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into His hands. I think a lot of us, we look at the life of Jesus and we just think He was this pawn, that He was this puppet, that God had this huge master plan and Jesus had zero say in what took place. That's not what this says. This is that Jesus literally had everything in His hands. That really catchy song from when you were six, right? He's got the whole world in His hands. That's where this is coming from. This means that Jesus did not have to go to a cross. It means that Jesus never had to stand on trial. It means that Jesus never had to face anything that He faced, but He chose to. He had the power to stop it. He had the power to walk away. He had the power to do what He pleased, but instead, He brings His disciples together for a meal. And it says that while they were eating, he rose from supper and he laid aside his outer garments, his nice clothes, the ones he wanted you to see him in. And so he strips that off and he's standing in his proverbial boxers and undershirt and he wraps a towel around his waist and he gets on his knees and he washes the disciples' feet. Jesus Who is worthy of all worship and service, gets up, takes off his clothes, and washes his disciples' feet. We're going to jump to verse 12 to see why. It says, when he had washed their feet, he put on his outer garments and resumed his place. And he said to them, do you understand what it is I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am." If I am your Lord and teacher, if I've washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should go and do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Verse 17 If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Verse 17. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Verse 17, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. You call me teacher and Lord, a.k.a. I rank higher than you. I am your teacher. I am your Lord. You are correct. And I just washed your feet. And if I washed your feet... You can wash each other's feet. I love this, right? If God washed feet, there is nothing you can say that you are above doing. If the God of the universe got down and washed your feet, there's nothing you can say you can't do. I just gave you an example of how you are to represent me. You are to go low, get low church. He's calling us to get low. And there's a couple of lessons to be learned here. One is that love is sometimes a feeling, but it's always an action. All right, love is sometimes a feeling, but it's always an action. It's what you do for the concern of the beloved or the one that you love, right? I love this. It says that Jesus knows that Judas will betray Him. In fact, in verse 21, it says, After He had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, Very truly, I tell you, one of you is going to betray Me. Jesus was troubled in spirit. He felt troubled, and He still acted. Why? Because He loved them to the end. Love is sometimes a feeling but it is always in action. I think that far too many of us have bought into this lie that in order for us to do something, we have to feel like doing it. we bought into this lie, we've bought into this belief that in order for me to serve someone, I have to believe that they deserve it. Judas was about to betray Jesus And it said that Jesus was troubled, and He still got down on the floor and washed His feet. Love is sometimes a feeling, but it is always an action. Now, I'm going to be honest. I've been married for 11 years. There are some things I don't feel like doing anymore, right? There are ways that my wife used to feel loved that I don't feel like doing anymore, We've been married for 11 years, and up until four months ago, uh, we had no kids in our house, which meant we got to do whatever we wanted, whenever we wanted. We could go wherever and do whatever, and it was awesome. And then we got a six-year-old who's attached to the legal system, who now dictates where we go, when we go, when we can do it. They dictate how I spend my Saturday mornings, who will be in my home? Who can watch this little girl so I can go on a date with my wife? There are so many things now that I have zero control over. And there's times I don't feel like loving her. I don't feel like taking care of all of the things that we have to take care of now. But love is an action, not just a feeling. So it's about Thanksgiving, and my wife comes to me, and she says, hey, Craig, there's this light show at the fairgrounds. Now, how many of you are Christmas people? Like, you put your Christmas tree up in October, you listen to Christmas music in July, you've already started posting on Facebook how many weeks it is until Christmas of next year. You're weird, right? I am not one of those people, okay? I like one Christmas song, and I don't put trees in my house unless I've turned them into furniture, okay. Uh, I am somewhat of a Scrooge, I guess you could ask my wife, right? I am not a Christmas person. So she comes to me and says, hey, there's this Christmas light show at the fairgrounds. Little girl would really like it. What do you think? And I have visions in my head of driving into oncoming traffic. And then I stop and I look at her and I said, yeah, that sounds great. So she buys the tickets, and she says, hey, it says on there, uh, it gets pretty busy on the weekend, so you should go during the week. So what do we do? We went on a Saturday, okay? <laughs> Looked at our schedule, just worked out, hey, it's going to work for us to go on a Saturday night. So we go and we eat at Giordano's, we get some deep dish, aka a loaf of bread with 10 pounds of cheese and meat in my tummy, and we leave the restaurants about 6.30, and we start making our way to the fairgrounds. And everyone else in the state of Indiana was headed towards the fairgrounds that night. And so we're driving and we're trying to get left and get left and cars are whipping in, right? And we end up getting in this line and next to us is this construction sign that says uh, three and a half hours from this point. And I look at Taylor and she looks at me and we're like, yeah, there's no way it's going to take three and a half hours. It took three and a half hours. In bumper to bumper, rush hour style, just stop and go traffic to get in to see Christmas lights. So we turn on the radio to the station that they tell us where it's playing nonstop Christmas music that is synced to the lights that we can't even see yet. And as we drive, there's a a 1 and a 2 and a 3, all the way to 12, right? And so you've got the 12 days of Christmas illustrated in lights. And my wife and this little girl, every time we passed one, had to sing the 12 days of Christmas very loudly. And she kept asking the question that all children ask when they've been in the car for a long time. What is it? Are we there yet? Do you see lights anywhere? No. Are we there? Oh, sweet Jesus, no, right? Three and a half hours. We got home, it was about 11.30. I got out of the car, I went upstairs, I craw- like, crawled into bed and I just cried. Because love is rarely a feeling. I felt a lot of things that night, but love was not one of them. Love is sometimes a feeling, but it is always an action. So even when you don't feel like doing things, it should never stop you from loving people, loving your family well, loving your neighbors well, loving the people that Christ has called you to minister well. Love is sometimes a feeling, but it is always an action. Number two, Jesus does what no one else will do. Jesus gets off his throne and he comes to earth. That's humility. The God that created this world gets off his throne and enters human history. That is humility. And at dinner with his disciples, he gets up from where he is seated and he lowers himself again onto the floor to serve. And he does something that no one else does. You see, for us, it's kind of weird. We see this, oh, he washed their feet, and we're like, that's kind of weird. Like, why is he giving his disciples a pedicure? Okay, here's the deal. We today have these things called shoes, right? Uh, They're close-toed, and typically when we're traveling, we get in a car and we drive there. During this point in history, it's during Roman rule, they have Pax Romana, which means they're building roads to everywhere so that things can be interconnected. These roads were typically made out of dirt. It's a very warm climate, so you've got people wearing sandals, walking everywhere on dirt roads. And they share these dirt roads with a lot of different animals. Now, back in this point in history, there weren't a lot of folks sitting at desks doing work. No, they were doing manual labor. They were fishermen. They were carpenters. They worked hard. So you've got 12 dudes that have been walking with Jesus mile after mile after mile, going and doing ministry in sandals, on dirt roads, covered with dung. At this point in history, if you walked into somebody's house, you would take your sandals off in the lowest ranking slave would wash your feet. It was never the person that invited you. It was never their kids. It was rarely just their main servant. It was the lowest ranking slave. Right? Today, if you came to my house, I would ask you to take your shoes off, you would walk downstairs, and I would offer you something to drink. At this point in history, you walked into someone's house, you took off your sandals, and a slave, a nobody, would literally scrape the dirt and dung off of your feet. And so at Jesus' last meal with his disciples, he walks in and what does he see? He sees proud hearts and dirty feet. He sees a group of men that he pursued, that he chose, that he said, you follow me and I will teach you everything you need to know. And not one of them was willing to lower themselves to the point of washing the other disciples' feet. And so Jesus got off of His throne and He came to earth. And in similar fashion, He got up from where He was seated at this meal and He gets on the ground. This is our God. Got off His throne and came to earth. And He got up from where He was seated and He got on the floor. the God that spoke everything into existence, the God that created the earth, the God that filled the earth with humanity, the same humanity that betrayed Him. He entered to live alongside of them. And once He got here, He walked everywhere that he went. He was not carried like the king that he was. He walked. And we see him walk into a room where he is hosting a dinner that he is paid for with 12 men that he invited to follow him so that he could teach them everything that they needed to know and he washes the feet of the man who betrayed him. This is our Jesus. Who could conceive of a God like that? Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, and humble servant. Jesus did something that no one else would do. And finally, Jesus makes you clean. We jumped over this earlier, so we're going to pick back up in verse 6. It says, He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand, but afterwards you will understand. Peter says to him, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, if I don't wash your feet, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you, for he knew who was to betray him. That is why he said, not all of you. So Jesus is knelt down on the floor, and he's cleaned the feet of several disciples, and he gets to Peter, and Peter says, what, are you going to clean my feet? You know, Peter tends to get a bad rap at times because he just calls things out, and he calls them the way he sees it, and he's like, what are you doing? You are the Lord. You are our teacher. You are our master. What are you doing getting on your knees and cleaning my feet? Like, do you guys not see what's happening here? Like, this isn't the way it's supposed to go. Jesus, you're not cleaning my feet. Jesus says, unless I clean your feet, you have no share with me. Here's a pretty rough translation. If I don't wash your feet, you are going to hell. Peter learns pretty quickly. He's like, well then, wash my feet, wash my hands, and wash my head. She's like, here's the deal. I've already cleansed you. You don't need to take a bath. You're clean. But when you walk in this world, you will get soiled. Let me wash your feet. wash your feet. There's a level of humility associated with this act, not only on Jesus' part, but on the disciples' part. This man that you've been following, this man that has invited you to follow Him, who's been investing in you, this man that you truly believe to be God, to be the Messiah, is scrubbing the crud off of your feet. I love this. Jesus starts pointing towards what is to come in this. Jesus says, You know what? I will make you clean. Peter says, Nah, I'll make myself clean. How many of us do that? Jesus, like, Here, I'm, I'm willing to clean you up. Nah, it's my job, it's my responsibility, right? That's called religion. It's called religion. And every religion has a means to clean yourself up, right? You need to reincarnate and do better in the next life. You need to do good enough to restore the balance of karma. You must give enough to pay off your cosmic debt. You must face east and pray five times a day. You must stay clean by not eating these foods. It's all the same. It's me trying to cleanse me. It's religion. And Jesus says, no, I'll make you clean. You know, there's a lot of you that know you're forgiven, but you don't know you're clean. You believe that Christ died on the cross and that by doing so, you are forgiven, but you still walk around feeling guilty and ashamed still walk around moping with your head down cuz you feel broken and you feel dirty here's the deal Christ has cleansed you who you're going to be in 10,000 years is not who you were 10 years ago like Peter oh you're not going to wash me we try and dictate what we give Jesus access to. You don't know what I've done. There's no way that you've forgiven that or that you're going to cleanse that. I'm not even going to let you in. And I got so much stuff going on in my world, but I refuse to tell anyone about it because it's my job to clean this up. Like Peter, you're saying, Jesus, you can serve me, but on my terms. You get access to this, but not that. He's saying, "Nah. give me all of it, because I want you to feel the freedom of not only being guiltless, but being cleansed. John, the same guy that wrote the book that we've been in, he wrote several other letters and some beautiful words were written in the book of 1 John. 1 John 1.19, it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins. All right, here's the deal whatever you've done, if you confess it, he will forgive it. That's still crazy. Hours after washing the disciples' feet, Jesus was arrested, he was tried, he was hung on a cross, and on that cross, Jesus called out to his father Father, forgive them. And He died on that cross so that we could be forgiven by the Father. Jesus died on that cross for the forgiveness of every sin you've ever committed, past, present, and future. You are forgiven. But there's more in here, right? If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's kind of a, a churchy word, right? Cleanse us from our filth. Cleanse us from our dirtiness. Cleanse us from our guilt and our shame and our condemnation. How many of you know that you're forgiven, but you don't know that you're clean? When you put your faith in Christ, you are clean, you are spotless, you are pure. When you put your faith in Christ, you have been washed what Jesus is talking about. Hey, you have put your faith in me. You have trusted me, which means you are clean, but you are going to walk in this world, and you are going to get soiled. That's what happens when you walk on these dirty, nasty roads. You will pick up some funk that needs to be dealt with. When you live your life in the world, you are going to experience things that you never were created to experience. You are going to do things that you should not do, and here's the deal. You're clean, but your feet aren't. Let me wash them for you. You've already let me clean you, and let me freshen you up, confess regularly, God, I did this. You're forgiven. Now, let me cleanse that from you so you can continue to move on. Let me cleanse you. Let me cleanse you. You see, humility is more than just being willing to serve. Humility is also being willing to be served. Christ is saying, you know, you want to be my example? You want to be uh, the person that is going to show who I am? I need you to do two things. One, I need you to get really, really low. I need you to find people and I need you to go lower than them so then when you love them and you bless them, you are lifting them up, right? I need you to go low and to I need you to humble yourself enough to allow me to serve you. It's a proud heart that says, I'll take care of it. It's a proud heart that says, it's my responsibility. Jesus is saying, no, humble yourself. One, to serve people, and two, to be served. You want to be my representative to the world? That's what I'm calling you to do. Go low and humble yourself enough to allow me to wash your feet. The God of the universe wants to wash your feet. So, what does this have to do with all in, with our all-in discipleship journey, right? We talked about this for weeks and weeks and weeks, and then it kind of went left, and we're like, all right, it's Christmas time. No, here's the deal. It's all the same thing. What does this have to do with all in? Right, it has a lot to say about all in. It's actually written right here in verse 20. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. Here's the deal when you represent me well, people will receive me. And when they receive me, they will receive the Father. It's your job to represent us well, because when we send you to people, to co-workers, to neighbors, to family, it is your job to go low, to humble yourself, because when they receive you that way, they receive me, which leads to them receiving my Father. We've been called to humble ourselves and to serve because Jesus serves I think most of us would consider Judas to be an enemy of God, and the reality is that every single one of us was an enemy of God until we said yes to Jesus, right? But the beautiful thing is that Jesus takes his enemy and makes them family. Jesus got off of his seat to serve Judas. He got off of his throne to serve you. Jesus got on the floor to serve Judas. He got on the cross to serve you. Jesus poured out water for Judas. He poured out his blood for you. Church, there are many in our community that need to be loved. There are many that are living very low that we need to get under and lift them up. We need to go low. And if Jesus washes feet, there is nothing we are too good to do. If God washes feet, there's nothing you can't do. So, how are you going to humble yourself and go low for the benefit of someone else? Because love is rarely a feeling, but it's always an action. Church, there are many in our community that need to hear that Jesus forgives them. There are many in our community that need to hear that Jesus is willing to cleanse them. The generational cycles that have gripped our community, they've labeled people and they have held them down for far too long. The number of people in our community that walk around with the label of dirty. Jesus is saying, no, I came to wash your feet. I came to cleanse you. I came to forgive you. I came to set you free. Church, he's calling us to go low. What does it mean to be all in? It means to go low. It means to humble yourself, to not only serve, but to be served. because when you represent Jesus well, people will receive Jesus. And when they receive Jesus, they will receive the Father. You know, at Christmas we celebrate the birth of Jesus, right? This is a beautiful thing. This is something to celebrate, Jesus leaving His throne and coming to us. And a buddy of mine sent me uh, this song by a church out of Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, and The name of the song is My Savior Left His Throne Above. And I sat and just listened to this song on repeat over and over again as I sat and studied and, and prayed for this message. And I thought, you know what? This is probably one of the best songs to just sit under for a couple of minutes. It takes this message and it just spells it out. Right? That He left His throne to come to us not to be served, but to serve. And so for the next couple of minutes, I want us to sit under the words of this beautiful, beautiful truth. Check out the screen.